Once again, you have stumbled upon the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, this podcast replays the sermon from our Sunday morning service. Right now, we are in a series going through the book of Hebrews, and so this particular sermon from April 30th, 2023, covers Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. I started thinking about this passage and preparing for this message, I was trying to think of some sort of a, a metaphor, or an idea, or an illustration that would sort of capture what I felt was the main point of this passage, the, at least the point that I wanted to focus on, something that would be enjoyable, fun, at least not boring. And as I was thinking about this, I was, of course, sitting in my office out alongside the shop, staring at my computer screen, and maybe that's why I came up with this illustration. But my mind went back to, I think, around 1992, but it might be, I'm not sure, when I was in middle school, and my parents bought their first computer. And they bought it uh, partly so my dad could do the work that he needed to do, but but they also bought it so that my sister and I were able to learn how to use computers. And this was a big sacrifice for them. If, if any of you older people bought a computer in the mid-90s, they weren't cheap then, especially when you factor in what other things cost at that time. It was actually a fairly decent one for the era. It was a 386 with an actual hard drive of 80 megabytes. Had five and a quarter and three and a half inch floppy drives both. So I don't know if you younger people have ever seen these kind of discs or not, but if you have, you know what they are. If you haven't looked carefully at the screen and see everything on there, it was a Windows computer. I believe it was Windows 3.1. I was trying to figure that out, but that was a long time ago. If you were on the computer back in the day, this might, the screenshot that I found on the web might remind you of what life was like. I used to play Minesweeper, and that was, I had forgotten completely about that. Anyway, this is not a pointless story. I know I'm getting old. I'm not as old as Jerry yet, but I know I'm getting old. I don't think I'm at the age yet where I'm going to tell random pointless stories from my childhood, but this is what came to my mind as I was thinking about this, because as I said, that that computer ran Windows 3.1, and over time, Microsoft has continued to update Windows. There were several 3.whatever iterations. I can remember when they stopped that chronological system and they jumped all the way to Windows 95. That seemed really weird to me, and it must have seemed weird to somebody at Microsoft because they eventually abandoned that, and with Windows 7, I think they went back to a more chronological system. Right now, the computer I'm using up here is running Windows 11. And each time they upgraded the software, Windows was better. Well, for this illustration, we'll at least pretend it was better, because otherwise it doesn't work. But the, the software was better, it was upgraded, and it always replaced the old. When I put Windows 11 on my computer here, it did away with Windows 10. So each time I installed an update, it was better, and the new replaced the old. And I choose this because software seems like an illustration of what the author of Hebrews is talking about in our passage for today. You buy something, 
and the new is better and it replaces the old. And actually software has this really cool pattern of often being named with numbers. So you could get version one and it gets updated and soon it's version 2.0. So here's how this, how this ties. In, in the book of Exodus, we read about God rescuing the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham who were slaves and they were in Egypt and he was leading them out to a new place to a land that would be their own. I'm guessing you probably know that story. I won't repeat it all for you. God wanted to be their God. He wanted them to be his people. He wanted a relationship with this people, so he formed a covenant with them. And I was thinking, you know, we use the word covenant in church quite a bit, but not much elsewhere. I guess it's used in legal settings, but I don't go in legal settings very often. So what does the word covenant mean? And when I looked it up in the dictionary, it says... A a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement or a formal agreement or promise between two or more people. And so in our context, we're, we're using this to mean a formal agreement between God and the people of Israel. He wanted a formal agreement by which they would relate to each other. I got to thinking at first glance, that might sound a little bit strange. I mean, why did God want something so formal? Why couldn't they just be friends or something like that? But the, mere, the moment I said that, it made me think of a marriage, and maybe that explains this a little bit, or at least we can wrap our heads around it. When a man and a woman get married, they want something more than just an informal arrangement, and that's why they have a marriage covenant, the other place we often use this in church. It's a formal agreement by which they both commit to the relationship and it defines some of the terms of the relationship. We could have a separate sermon on marriage with a covenant is what God wants, not just the casual living together that some people do, but that's another, another sermon for another time. But maybe that will help you think about why God would want and require a covenant. But the point is, we read about how God set his people free from slavery. He was leading them towards the land of Israel, and he established a covenant with them that was the basis of his relationship with the people. You can read in Exodus or Deuteronomy, but the covenant, I think, could be sort of summarized approximately this way. God promised to choose these people to be his own special people. He would care for them, protect them, bless them, and the people of Israel then promised to obey God and to honor God. So there, there were a lot more specific details, which you can read about. That's a very, very basic summary. But, but the people didn't. The people couldn't keep their side of this agreement. They disobeyed God. And so if this, if this agreement, if this covenant was the, the nature of which their relationship was based, it was... What happens when the people cannot keep their side of the deal? Either the relationship was over, or the people needed a new covenant. Covenant 2.0, perhaps you could say. And in Jeremiah 31, we see that God promised that he was indeed going to give a new covenant someday. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. So God promised that there would be a new covenant, and it's going to be a different covenant. And he describes it a little bit in 33 and 34 of this chapter. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days 
says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. So the old covenant was broken. It was ineffective. Whatever word you want to use, the people needed an upgraded covenant, and God promised in Jeremiah that it was coming someday. And now, so finally, on page three of my notes, we actually get to Hebrews, because we're actually going through Hebrews on Sunday mornings. I feel sometimes like we're stumbling through this book one section at a time, and then Jerry comes and sets us right, and then we stumble some more. But In our most recent passages, the author of Hebrews has been talking about how Jesus is our high priest. He isn't serving in a temple or a tabernacle anymore. Instead, he is serving in the very presence of God. And the author says that Jesus is a new kind of priest, a better high priest. He serves with a new covenant, a better and higher covenant. That gives the background. And in our passage, the author then says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. So again, back to my software example, I'm I'm hoping it was actually useful to you. If someone were to write completely perfect and flawless software, there would never need to be an update. But if that software crashes, or, or actually what often happens, if the users find ways to make that stuff crash, then you need to release an update, and you write version 2.0. And this covenant, it had a problem. The key, people kept finding a way to make it crash. They kept sinning. They kept turning away from God. And so using that software metaphor, God needed to release an update. The relationship that God intended was simply not possible with the covenant that he had established. And I guess God could have just discarded the people, but he didn't want to. He actually wanted a real and genuine relationship with them. Since the old covenant had problems... God needed to form a new one. In Hebrews 8 and 9, the author continues, But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. You You might be able to tell that I'm actually in some ways, reading from Jeremiah, just like I did, because the author is quoting from Jeremiah 31. He goes on, verse 10 of Hebrews 8, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them, or put their laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And then 13, which is in some ways the key, the key verse, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. And so I think that's part of the reason that software came to my mind so vividly. It's something that we, at least some of us, will experience when somebody updates something because of a problem or an inadequacy or a need, whatever, they update it and the new thing completely replaces the old. 
God's people now have a new covenant with God that has replaced and superseded the old covenant. So we're going to keep going through Hebrews, and there's a lot of talk in the next coming bit, the next coming chapters about about this kind of idea, fleshing it out in a lot more detail about how Jesus is the center of this new covenant. But for today, the big point that I hope that you'll remember is that God's people now have a new covenant by which we relate to God, and this new covenant has replaced and superseded the old one. So yeah, you could actually go through the Jewish scriptures. You could study. It's our Old Testament. You could study it. You could see the details of God's covenant with his people. You can see the promises that he made and the promises that they made in return. And I guess maybe if you really wanted a relationship with God, you might be tempted to try to look at those lists of things and say, that must be what God wants. That's what I'm going to do to have a relationship with with him, But the author of Hebrews would say that view would be incorrect. Don't try to follow those instructions in order to have a relationship with God because that covenant has been replaced by something new, completely replaced. It's now obsolete and out of date. Trying to follow that old covenant would be like if I went on eBay and tried to find installation disks for Windows 3.1 and to put them on my laptop, it simply wouldn't work. Something new has come. It's better than the old, has completely replaced the old. And actually, if you were to try to follow the old covenant, you'd end up failing the same way that the people did. They were unable to obey it. You would be as well. And also, perhaps even more importantly, if you start reading the instructions, you're going to find that they were written to a particular ethnic group of people, which to my knowledge of your ancestry, is not most of us or maybe not any of us here today. So it's really good that there is indeed a new covenant, a new kind of relationship between people and God. And then again, I want to just read verse 13 again. I want to stress this idea that the new has superseded the old. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. We relate to God through the new covenant that has replaced the old. So our passage does give us a very brief summary of this new covenant. I do want to go through that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because we're going to be getting there as we as we go through chapters 9 and 10 and beyond. But I do want to summarize it by looking at some verses from from 10 to 12, some sentences from verses 10 to 12 to try to summarize what the author says about this new covenant. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not need to teach the neighbors for everyone will know me already and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I was reminded of John 14, and I wonder if these were the kinds of things that Jesus had on his mind when he was sharing with his disciples one of the very last times before his crucifixion. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. In Exodus, under that old covenant, the presence of God was a cloud. You can read about it. Sometimes it was a fiery cloud at night. 
It filled the tabernacle. It rose up above the tabernacle. But the people had to stay at a distance. They could, in a sense, only look on at God from far away. But under the new covenant, the presence and the power of God actually lives within the people. And this was, this was demonstrated at Pentecost when tiny little pieces of fire, kind of like that, the cloud broke into pieces and it descended upon the people as the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, was now living inside of people who are followers of Jesus. So this new covenant, it's, 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 not, about, it's not about outward obedience, it's about inward transformation about when God's spirit now lives within us. He will write his laws on our minds and our hearts and everyone who knows and follows God will truly know him and his spirit will live within us. So we do still sin and the old covenant, we'll get there as we go through Hebrews, the old covenant didn't really deal with sin. There were sacrifices and there were offerings, but they were inadequate. But now we will learn that Jesus makes it possible for God to truly deal with sin. He will never again remember our sins. And then it's not emphasized here, I think because the author was writing to Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. So it's not part of his main point, but it is, it is out there in the scriptures as a whole. Something that's really important for most of us is that the Old Covenant was written primarily to descendants of Abraham but the new covenant is open to everybody who chooses to follow Jesus. But for today, if you remember only one thing, we relate to God through a second covenant. Maybe you call it covenant 2.0. It's a new, it's a better covenant, and it replaces and supersedes the old one. And Jesus is at the center of this new covenant. have now squandered 20 perfectly good minutes listening to yet another sermon. This one was from April 30th, 2023, and the passage was from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. Take care.